You are listening to the Aesthetic Vibes podcast and I am your host Amy. This is the podcast where we talk about relevant and totally irrelevant topics. The idea here is to spread aesthetic vibes. You're here now, so why don't you hang out and we'll talk some shit. Welcome to today's episode. Again, I've picked the worst time to be bloody recording because I can hear all of the afternoon traffic. It's doing my head in, (laughs) but the day has been far too busy. I'm working on side projects and struggling to get everything done. (laughs) Really struggling. However, I always have time for an Aesthetic Vibes podcast new episode. This is my baby, this podcast. This is this is my small child. Um, it's not. Anyway, <laughs> last week we spoke about these really bizarre unsolved mysteries and we had missing people, we had death, we had something that seemed a little spooky. I loved that. And that was part one. We're going to do part two today. And I'm going to give you five very bizarre, spooky, crazy unsolved mysteries okay let's go so the first one is called the shepherd murder case so in in roughly 1945 there was dr samuel shepherd and excuse me i'll be looking down because there are a lot of there are a lot of facts that i just don't want to get wrong um however as i was saying in 1945, there was Dr. Samuel Shepard and Marilyn Reese, and they were married, and they lived in a small town defined as being close-knit. Um, and being in a small town, it can also be toxic, so <laughs> whatever way you look at it. The, about two years after their marriage, they had their first child. They nicknamed the kid Chip, which is... A random nickname. I don't know what the kid's real name was. I just know he was nicknamed Chip. Uh, Samuel was actually a very well-respected neurosurgeon. And the couple was believed to have had like a very happy marriage. They were very happy together. On the 3rd of July in 1954, the, the Shepherds decided to host a party. They invited all their neighbours. They had dinner and drinks. And then they watched a movie. Which is so weird because... You don't generally do that here in Australia. <laughs> you do the drinks, absolutely. You do the food, and then you kind of just kick on. So, you know, it's nice. They sat down, they watched a movie together, right? Just after midnight, Samuel fell asleep on the lounge, and Marilyn was kind of doing her, go- her goodbyes to everybody and saying, oh, on your way, all the rest of it. Have a great night. See you next time. At about 5.30 a.m., the mayor, whose name was Spencer Hawk, who was a close friend of the Shepherds, woke to a phone call from Samuel saying, oh my God, I need you to get over here quick. I think they've killed Marilyn. And what the hell? So the mayor and his wife got in the car and they drove towards the Shepherds location. They found Samuel in a sh- like completely shirtless in the study, holding his neck and he seemed to be in shock. 
They ended up calling the police and the authorities who arrived about 6am. According to the police report, Marilyn's body was found lying upward with her face towards the door. She was beaten beyond recognition. She had over 20 gashes that were in her face and scalps, like um, like stab wounds and gashes. The sheets were covered with blood and the walls were dripping with heavy blood spatter. Her pajamas were partially removed, leaving her exposed. The autopsy report stated that her time of death was around 4.30 a.m., so about an hour before Samuel found her. Sadly, it also revealed that Marilyn had been four months pregnant with their second child. So according to Samuel, he actually was downstairs, he's asleep, he um, heard nothing of it, and then he heard Marilyn shout his name, and then he runs up the stairs, finds her being attacked, and he defined the attack taking place from a white object, a white form of some description. Uh, apparently he fought with the form, and he was hit on the back of the head and fell unconscious. He claims that when he woke up, Marilyn was dead and the white form thing was gone. He then ran to Chip's room, the little kid, finds that, you know, he's alive, he's well, no issues with him, and he was actually still asleep. He then went downstairs and apparently saw the white form exiting through the back door. He chased the tall, bushy-haired figure down to the shores of a particular lake. He then explained that he either lunged, grabbed, or grasped the white form, and he felt himself twisting or choking, and that terminated consciousness. When Samuel came to, it was nearly dawn, and his watch was missing. Samuel was the only witness to the crime, as well as the most likely suspect. So white form i i don't know right he was obviously tried for murder and uh december 21st 1954 there was extensive deliberation for about four days and then the jury found um, samuel guilty of second degree murder he was sentenced to life in prison, but he continued to maintain his innocence. Eventually, his life sentence was overturned. And the real story of whatever happened to Marilyn still remains a mystery. I don't know. Uh, look. A white form. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying that this stuff... Like, I just... I find it a little bit of a stretch. But I'll leave that with you to consider, Right. Did Samuel just do the deed and then do everything possible to deny? Maybe was he blacked out because he drank too much alcohol? I don't know. I only say that because we're watching Jeffrey Dahmer at the moment, the the CB series, and he was blacking out and killing people. Um, that's the only reason that comes to mind. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, guys. And the next one's about the Pollock sisters. So back in the 1940s, uh, Florence and... Florence is such a weird name. <laughs> Florence. It's just so difficult for my brain. Anyway, Florence and John were married. In about the 1946-ish, they had two sons, and then they welcomed their first daughter, who they named Joanna. And then in 1951, they welcomed another baby girl called Jacqueline. 
Despite the age differences between the girls, they had a very close bond. Joanna liked to take care of Jacqueline and she kind of saw herself as the ultimate big sister. Since their mother was busy with the family's grocery, delivery, her own business, Joanna actually saw herself as a second mother to the child. They uh, enjoyed playing dress-ups and pretending and silly games, and um, but they would always be around each other. They were always around each other. It, it was kind of weird because Joanna would always say things like, I don't think I'll ever grow up to be a lady. And she would always say that she would remain a child forever. No one really took her seriously. She's a kid, right? And everyone just chalked it up to, yeah, she's got a creative imagination. Just leave her, leave her be. On the 7th of May in 1956, six-year-old Jacqueline and 11-year-old Johanna were walking to church with another boy from the neighborhood. They did this apparently quite often. The three of them would walk together. While they were walking, a car came up behind them, hit them at an extremely high speed, killing all three of the children. The Pollock sisters actually died instantly um, on impact because this woman was driving that fast. And the little boy, um, I think, made it to the hospital, but his injuries consumed him and he died. The woman who was driving the car apparently had just lost her children in a custody battle and she was feeling angry and upset and she wanted to take her own life. Not sure how she thought she would do that by driving through three small children, but okay, or how any of that makes sense because if she's just lost her kids, wouldn't she be grieving and looking at other kids and going, I'm so sad, I don't have... Anyway, don't know. Chick sounds fucking bonkers. So... The parents, particularly Florence, learnt about obviously the children's death and she kind of started going into this deep, deep depression and it would last for a really long time and she was just in the depths of it. John, on the other hand, had this spiritual belief that the girls were in heaven and they would eventually be reincarnated. Like, it's 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 okay. Like, it, this happened. It's not okay. It's sad. But I'm positive that they're in a good place with an opportunity to come back. Florence didn't really like this because she was very uh, strictly Christian. So she very much didn't believe in, you know, the idea of reincarnation. She thought, you know, this is a bit on the sketch side. So eventually they get divorced. However, they ended up staying together because Florence got pregnant. From the beginning of the pregnancy, John thought that there were two babies and he had it in his head there were two children. And doctors kept saying, no, 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 she's only got one. And he's like, no, I just feel like there's two. Something something in me is telling me there are two children. Sure enough, Florence gives birth to two little girls that they named Julian and Jennifer. Twins weren't a thing in their family. Nobody else had had twins. Um... So it, it was random, right? The doctors are wrong, but um, our old friend John was correct. So when the twins were old enough to talk, they actually began identifying and requesting toys that had belonged to the sisters, Joanna and Jacqueline. Also, the newborn twins actually had... I should have mentioned this before, the same birthmarks as the two girls that had passed away. So when they got old enough to talk... And they're asking for toys that belong to the girls. 
they would then also start pointing out landmarks that the other two girls would have known and not not, not the twins, the new twins. So like the school. And they'd say, oh, that's the school that we're going to go to. (laughs) They would sometimes see other cars and panic and go, oh my gosh, that car's going to hit us. They knew about road safety without anybody telling them. They were always like, okay, well, we've got to stop because a car could run us over and kill us. So they were basically preempting and discussing things that had occurred in a time before them and they knew things that they shouldn't have known. So the story of the Pollock sisters actually reaches this particular doctor who's a psychologist and um, he'd studied reincarnation and after studying thousands of cases, he actually wrote a book about the 14 cases he believed to be the most real, including that of the Pollock sisters. And whether or not the actual occurrence of reincarnation exists is yet to still be explained. But how many coincidences could there possibly be? You know, they're asking for toys that didn't belong to them. They didn't even know that the toys existed in the house. Um, You know, they're pointing out things like locations where they were going to go or um, had been in the past. So does reincarnation exist there are lots of these stories with little kids when they're very young saying things about previous lives and most people go oh they've got got a crazy little imagination there is it reincarnation all right i want to talk to you about the killing of ken rex mcelroy this guy was a dickhead (laughs) this guy was there's no other nice way to put it this guy was a dick let me just share a little bit about him. But this guy was like this huge, huge dude. He was very stocky, very tall. He would kind of walk around the town intimidating people. And like this is back in like the 19, like 50s, 60s, 70s type thing, right? Um, so he would walk around the town and he had a tendency to carry weapons on him. He made a decent living because he had land on a farm and he had racing dogs. So he he made decent money. Also, though, he would steal livestock, grain, alcohol, gasoline and antiques that just weren't pinned down and then sell those as well. He was always in trouble with the law. His lawyer was, you know, his lawyer apparently said something like, oh, um, when it comes to charges, we know that he's going to have three or four different charges coming through each year. So we're prepared for that work. And he had a really good lawyer and the lawyer would mostly get him off. Ken would actually go around saying, you know, I know that I can basically do whatever I want because my lawyer's that good. He's going to get me off. So, you know, get out of my way or give me that. Um, and he would intimidate. Anyway, one so one of the other things he used to do, so if he was being charged for something and to avoid jail time, he would follow witnesses, park outside their homes watching them until they were no, like they felt the fear in them that they would not testify because this guy's following them everywhere. Uh, some of the biggest crimes for him were robbery, harassing, assaulting women, destroying property, threatening lives, shooting at least two people. And he still didn't end up in jail. This guy was a dick, right? Police were afraid of him because he was so heavily armed. He would have multiple guns on him and knives. And police were like, we're not going near this. This guy's crazy. And so they were really scared of him. 
On the uh, 25th of April in 1980, there was a store clerk at a local um, a local store and Ken's eight-year-old daughter went in there and she stole a piece of candy and the, the store man was pissed off and said, you know, you didn't pay for this. I either want the money or the candy back. And so he ended up taking the candy, like the sweets or whatever it was, off her. Ken hears of this and he's irate. He becomes so angry that he begins stalking the, the family of the store owner. Bro, your child just stole. Uh, your problem is there. Start there first. Anyway, he would drive to the alley behind the general store and he would threaten the store owner and his family. And he ended up shooting a 70-year-old grocer um, in the neck at close range with a shotgun. And that was the second time he'd actually shot someone. Anyway, he goes on, he harasses, harasses, stalks, intimidates. This guy was a dick. He ends up shooting the store guy, the guy who owned the store, in the stomach and the guy who owns the store survived. And Ken was arrested and charged with attempted murder. And the store owner was like, fuck this shit. I don't care if you try to intimidate me. You've made my life hell and it can't get any worse than what it is. So fuck it. We're going to court. Off they went. So, um, in his usual fashion, Ken shows up, he's, you know, he's, he's stalking the family, he's being belligerent in court to them, he's, you know, just being a grub in general. So he eventually gets sentenced to prison time, and I think he gets a fine. I think it was like two years or something for attempted murder. Anyway, he gets out of prison and just goes back to his usual shit. Like, he's just going around the town like a massive dick as usual intimidating people, heavily armed again, weapons all over him. Just right dickhead, right? There, at, around that time, I think he was even shooting in an alleyway. Like, he's just, like, peppering the guns in an alleyway. Fucking loser. Anyway, uh, there was a town meeting occurring. And after he was kind of being a dick in the alleyway, the, one of the people in the town meeting said that they saw Ken and his wife going to get drinks at a, at a tavern. The, the guy, everybody in the meeting was kind of at their wits end. They're like, we're done with this. This guy's been a dick. He's completely ruled this town through fear. So they, they adjourned the meeting. Everything's finished, right? There were roughly 60 people. <laughs> they descend very quietly onto the tavern where Ken is. And some of the attendees go into the bar and then they wait for Ken to finish his drinks. And Ken and his wife go back to his truck. They're finished. Everybody kind of congregates and comes outside. According to the wife, Ken lit a cigarette and then she looked over her shoulder and she saw someone unload a bullet into him. And no one called for an ambulance. So the, the bullet that got unloaded into him severely injured him. She claims that she saw who it was. Doesn't matter. No one called for an ambulance. 60-odd bystanders. Nobody called for an ambulance. The guy got shot. And apparently the wife was like, I can identify the 
the gunman. However, there was out of the 60 people, every other person said, oh, we, we were there, we don't know who it was. We have no idea. I don't know, it was none of us. Must have been someone from some random place. Not a single one of those 60 people admitted it. And the wife was like adamant. To this day, it is not known who shot him. It is not known. It's never been made public. It is just, it's just one of those things. They'd all had a gutful. Someone did the job. And then they all were like, oh. And they stuck by it for their entire existence. What the hell? The guy was a dick. I don't know if I agree killing him is the, the right answer. I would have driven him out of town probably. But um, isn't that like creepy as shit? 60 people just going, oh, I didn't see. <laughs> Did you see? No, I didn't see. Neither. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, okay, so I've got two more for you. Uh, this is this next one's not overly new, and I've heard of this before, but it's the Severed Feet Mystery. So in about 2007, a young girl was actually walking along the beach in British Columbia, and she finds a, a sneaker or a jogger, um, what else do you call them? Like a, a running shoe type thing. And it's on the shore. She goes over to it and has a look, and there's a human foot in it. It's like, obviously chopped off at the ankle or whatever and there's a foot in the shoe since then many severed feet have washed ashore in shoes so far five men one woman and three of un an unknown sex so throughout the years this case has always been a mystery and there are so many theories out there around why this particular beach keeps having shoes with feet show up in them the Vancouver police did manage to identify one foot in 2008 and there was a match in DNA to an individual, like a man, who was suicidal. So they kind of went, it's possible that he took his own life, it's, it's not sure, whatever. Because of that as a particular finding, people started to speculate that Maybe the feet are belonging to people who are committing suicide. Maybe they're jumping off a nearby bridge to their death and then their body, like the shoes are washing ashore. Seems like a bit of a stretch though, right? To have that many shoes with feet in them. There are no other body parts that show up. It is just foot in shoe. No other body parts. There's been no arms, fingers, nothing, nothing. It is a foot in a shoe. Some believe that they are the the parts of the victims from like a, a 2004 tsunami or something similar. Everyone's just completely confused. Ha, has, you know, what was this a dumping ground maybe for a murderer? Or is there a legitimate reason why shoes with feet in them? You know, maybe it is people committing suicide, but how just ridiculously coincident coincidental is that doesn't make sense you're not going to just have that same body part wash up so something doesn't feel right there so that's the the mystery of the severed feet and then lucky last is one that i've heard of before diver tool pass that's the first and last time i will say that because i don't know how to pronounce anything Basically, in February 1959, nine hikers died mysteriously in the mountains of what is now known as Russia. 
On the night of the incident, the group had actually set up a camp on a slope. They had dinner, got ready for bed, but they never, after that point, returned home. On the 26th of February, they sent out a search party looking for the hikers. They found the abandoned tent and it had been ripped open from the inside. So obviously the zippers or whatever, they've gone and they've pulled from the inside. So it was very abundantly clear it was from the inside. There were fingerprints left by the group and there were footprints left by the group. Some that looked to be wearing socks, um, a, a single shoe and some that are barefoot. So you've got people with socks on, bare feet people, and a person with one shoe on only. All of these steps went to the edge of the forest that was nearby. Two bodies were found, shoeless and only wearing underwear. Initially, it actually believed that they died of hypothermia, but the medical examiners took a look at the body as well as the seven others that they um, discover eventually and over the months, and it followed that it was a disproved theory. One body had evidence of blunt force trauma to it um, as a result of a brutal assault. Another had third-degree burns. And one had been vomiting blood and there was one that was missing a tongue. Some of their clothing had been found to be radioactive. The morbid theories are extensive. There are things like KGB interferences, um, UFOs, uh, gravity anomalies, like uh, the Yeti, um, pneumonia was even suggested. Either way... The true death and the cause of death for these adventures, hiker, hikers, whatever you want to call them, remains unsolved. They all died, all nine of them, partially clothed in some capacity, all from a different cause. How do you have burns on you in snow? I don't understand. It wasn't, it wasn't frostbite. It was burns. Second or third degree burns. No. What the hell? How does this stuff remain unsolved? There's, there has to be a logical explanation, right? Anyway, there is another five unsolved mysteries that are going to leave me awake at night thinking about all the possibilities and thinking maybe I can solve them. Maybe I've got the information. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed hearing these today. A lot of these are quite old. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of... Um, there's a couple of cold cases in here. Regardless, uh, I find it fascinating and I would love to know what happened to these poor people. So thanks for dropping in. Uh, thanks for hanging out with me. I appreciate seeing you every week. It is um, very refreshing. I've been so busy working on business related stuff so it's really nice just to sit down in front of like the microphone and the camera in a creative sense so that's it in the meantime you can connect with me via my socials at aesthetic vibes pod you can drop me an email at aesthetic vibes podcast at outlook.com drop by my website aesthetic vibes which i've rebranded i'm studying a bit of an overhaul making it you know just a little bit different to what it was freshen it up freshen the palette 
Uh, or you can drop by TikTok at Dr. Ames Kelly. I have videos or vodcasts exclusive to Spotify. If you look up Aesthetic Vibes Vodcast, you will find me there. All right. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.